This is Chapter 4 in a series of media resources accompanying the Starting Point Conversation Guide. God is Great, God is Good is a message series delivered at North Point Community Church by Andy Stanley. We don't need someone to tell us that the world is not as it should be. But in the face of tragedy and loss, rather than asking, why are things so bad, Andy suggests a different question. Listen and discover why our world is filled with so much brokenness. This past week, uh, former President Bush and former President Bill Clinton asked our nation not to forget the victims of the tsunami. And it was kind of interesting to hear that, or yesterday as I read the article, because um, we've kind of already forgotten, haven't we? I mean, we had to go back to work. I mean, we felt bad. We saw the pictures, saw the satellite videos, heard the stories of survivors and the people that held on to trees and houses and each other. And then we took up an offering and we sent our money. And then we all had to get back to work. And, um, and to even bring it back up, it just seems so long ago and so distant. And the event will be forgotten by us and the pictures will be forgotten by us. But the event of the tsunami raised a question that will never be forgotten by us because it's a question that comes back again and again and again and again. You've already asked the question before the events of December 26th of last year. It's a question you will ask again, not because of tsunami somewhere on the other side of the world, but because of a tsunami in your life. And the question is, and the question that's being asked everywhere is, what was God thinking? I mean, Hello, you know, why would you allow that? Why didn't you stop it? Um, are you there? Do you care? And, and the deeper question, you know, which is really perplexing, did, if, you, if there is a God, or is the problem that you're loving but not all powerful? Or maybe you're all powerful but you're not loving? Um, can, you, can you be trusted? I mean, is the, the prayers I pray at night, are they really relevant? I mean, can I really say now I lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord my soul to keep if I should die before I wake in a tsunami or a big earthquake? You know, I, you know, is it, is it, is it really relevant? Are we just kind of pretending and playing games? How about this? Did he, this is, this is so helpful. Did he cause it or allow it? Oh, he didn't cause it. He allowed it. Oh, that's really helpful to me. I'm comforted now to know he didn't cause it. He just allowed it, you know. I mean, that's the question that's dying to be asked. And the significance of the tsunami is it's not just Christians in an isolated part of some country that's primarily Christian asking. The tsunami caused everybody of every religious faith to ask it. In fact, right afterwards, I was really interested in this. And I put together a bunch of quotes from several different sources of people's response to the tsunami. I thought this was interesting. The age-old question was posed in the starkest form by the Indian Ocean tsunami. Believers from all faiths united on their duty to help victims, but also corporately wondered, where was God in this unimaginable suffering? In other words, this isn't just a conflict or something that perplexes Christians who have a good God. Every religion that says their God is good is somehow finding themselves asking the same question. Skeptics argue, if God is all-powerful, isn't he all-loving? Since he commands or allows devastation? Or if he's all-loving, then he can't be all-powerful. Because if he's all-loving, he wouldn't have allowed it to happen. If he's all-powerful, he could have kept it from happening. Since it happened, is it that he's not all-powerful? Or is he just not all-loving? Here's another one. Skepticism surged in many tsunami commentaries. Even Even the Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, said... This has made me question God's existence. Unlike William, some adherents of Christianity, Judaism and Islam provided cocksure explanations that the tsunami was divine punishment. 
Certain Hindus and Buddhists saw the outworkings of reincarnation and the law of karma, which teaches that misdeeds in previous lives cause justified suffering in this life. In other words, one way of looking at it is, you know, everybody in those areas simultaneously had just bad enough karma. They could all be taken out at one time. And somehow the law of karma and reincarnation made all that justifiable. I mean, they're searching for answers. Um, British evangelical Derek Kidner has written that is that he writes this in that human arguments argues that in that human arguments exhaust themselves. We can never know all the factors involved and God is not accountable to us. His view is we don't know and we can't know and it's just up to God and we just go on. Liberal rabbi Michael Lerner proposed trimming omnipotence so that God is not the one responsible for everything that happens. And he becomes God becomes an emerging voice of compassion and love in the midst of a world that is not totally under his or her control. So another response is some very serious, serious liberal scholars. And he's not the first to say the problem is God cares and God is as heartbroken as we are. God just couldn't stop it. He's not omnipotent. He's not completely in control. A radical Saudi cleric, Mohammed, and I can't pronounce the rest of his name, claim The water rose to strike non-Muslim vacationers who used to sprawl all over the beaches and in pubs overflowing with wine during Christmas break. Yet most of the victims, as this writer commented, yet most of the victims were from Indonesia, the most populous, populous Muslim majority nation. In Sri Lanka, a statue of Buddha in the southern town in the southern town did not topple when the waves crashed over that particular area. A Buddhist monk considered it a sign. He writes... The people are not living according to religious virtues. Nature has given them some punishment because they are not following the path of the Lord Buddha. The people have a lesson to learn. A Roman Catholic priest cast the blame wider. Here's what he wrote. This is a punishment from God because everybody is leading a wretched life. That basically everybody is so bad. The world has gotten so bad. God just said, you know, to heck with it. Let's let's do something tumultuous. All of us are to be blamed for the tsunami. There is no sense of modesty or religion anymore. People have gone so far away from God. It's a message to say, look, I'm the boss. And then one poor, devastated fisherman in a village that was almost completely wiped off the earth said this. The mother has butchered her own children. Either there is no God Or God must be cruel to do this. How do you respond? Not just to the tsunami, but the tornado that ripped through a middle class American neighborhood somewhere close by. When your friends, your neighbor, your father, your mother called and said, something's happened and there's no explanation. Somebody's not coming home. How do you respond? Tornadoes a year ago or a little over a year ago, there was an earthquake in Iran that killed almost 30,000 people. We almost didn't. We almost it was barely even reported. 30,000 people died in an earthquake. What, what do you what's your God up to? And you see, this is an important and important issue because this is a question that will come up in your life again. It'll be more personal, perhaps next time. It won't be the devastation on the other side of the earth. It won't be pictures on the Internet. It won't be pictures on your television screen where you're going, whoa, because you can't really see it and you can't smell it and you can't feel it. But see, one day there will be something in my life and in your life that causes me to ask similar questions, but it'll be personal. And I'll be asking the same questions and I'll be scrambling for same answers and I may come up with some of the same conclusions these people did. What in the world were you up to? Was God punishing me? 
Was God punishing the people around me and I just happened to be there? Was God punishing someone else and I just got too close? You know, what's going on? Is there any way to still believe in a good, great God and then to look at current reality and somehow blend these two and come up with an answer that makes sense? And I think if there's any good news in all of this, it's simply this, that every time an incident like this happens, it forces us to ask the questions I've referred to, but hopefully it'll force us to ask the preeminent question. The question that everybody needs to ask at some point in life, the most important question anybody can ask. Not where is God, not how could God, but who is God? Who is God? Who, who are we dealing with here? What is he or she or it really like? I mean, I knew what I heard in Sunday school. I knew what I heard in church. I knew what I was told to memorize as a kid. But when I take that vision or that version of God and I lay it over the events, the current reality that I'm being faced with, the events that are taking place in this world, they don't sync up. They don't match up. So I have a choice to make. I can either pretend like there was no tsunami. I can either pretend like there was no automobile accident. I can pretend like there was no tornado. I can pretend like there was no loss of life and maintain my vision and my faith in this God that I've kind of created or somebody told me existed. Or I can come to the more disturbing but realistic conclusion that perhaps the God I've prayed to and trusted in doesn't exist. That that's not really God at all. Because you see, when current reality conflicts with your view of God, you would be wise not to ignore current reality. And instead to ask the tough question, the helpful question. Who then is God? If he's not the God that makes sure all the children get home safely, who is this God? If he's not the God that answers every prayer that says protect me and guide me and direct me every single time, then, then who is this God? If he's not the God that would stop the devastation we saw on December 26th from taking place, who are we dealing with? Because when your view of God doesn't match up with reality, perhaps you're trusting in a God who doesn't even exist. A version of God. Now, you know, there's another argument, of course, the agnostic, the person that says you can't know, or the atheist, if you're one of those, there aren't many left. So, you know, be strong. You know, they're, they're dwindling. You're, you know, it's not a big group anymore. The group that says there is no God. Now, you wouldn't say this publicly, so let me say it for you. In your heart of hearts, when you see the devastation of the tsunami, your heart's broken like everybody else. But there's part of you that's going, and let me see you try to explain this one. Haven't I been saying this all along? Can you Christians and you Buddhists and you Hindus and you Muslims and you Jewish people, can you continue to embrace the notion of an all-powerful God in the face of this kind of devastation? I mean, come on, come on, let's face reality. If there is a good and all-powerful God, this wouldn't have happened. And since this happened, come on, it just substantiates my theory, substantiates what I believe all along. There's no God. There's no personal force or being that's controlling things and answering our prayers. I mean, stuff happens. They happens it's random and you're wasting your try time trying to come up with an answer or solution or a theory come on face reality life happens then you die and there is no rhyme there is no reason and there's nothing predictable about it and if you find yourself in that camp let me just throw out a thought for you before we move on before you judge us too harshly could it be that you have the same problem that some of us have your problem is you've decided if there were a God, here's what he would look like. And since the way I've decided God should look like doesn't match up with current reality, he must not be there. Isn't that simply what other people have done? 
that you've decided what God would and could be like if there were a God. You've created a God in your mind. And since you can't find evidence of him or her anywhere, you've come to the conclusion that he or she does not exist. Could it be that you need to stop and ask the same question all of us need to ask? Who is this God? Who are we dealing with here? And is there a clue in the devastation? And is there a clue in the destruction? And is there a clue in the loss of life? And as unsettling as it is, isn't it a question I need to ask? And aren't those clues I need to track down? Now, here's the amazing thing. See, if you're a Christian, the events and the consequences of the tsunami should not take the legs out from underneath your faith. In fact, we don't even need to flinch. In fact, as we're going to see, events such as the tsunami actually substantiate what we've been saying all along. But because those of us who are Christians sometimes lose sight of what it is that we believe, we flinch and we, you know, we get a little insecure. We're not sure how to answer that question. We should be the most heartbroken. We should be the most generous in terms of coming back around and supporting those who've been injured by that kind of event. But at the same time, we don't need to flinch and we don't need to hide and we don't need to go looking for ridiculous answers to the question of where was God and why was God? Because as Christians, we know from the Old Testament, from day one all the way through the New Testament, that God consistently, I mean, you may not like the answer, but here's the Christian's response. That throughout the Old and New Testament, God has consistently used nature and consistently used weather, whether it's famine or flood or wind or rain or lack of rain or pestilence or rivers overflowing. I mean, you name it, or storms or lightning, you name it. That God has used all kinds of weather throughout the Old and the New Testament to get people to ask the very question I'm challenging you to ask. To get people to stop in their tracks and say, whoa, who is this God we're dealing with? Because throughout the Old Testament, God would use nature to get prophets of false gods. To get prophets of Baal and and other false gods to say, if my God can't make it rain and your God made it rain, who, who, who is this God? Why is it my God can't change the weather? Why is it my God can't stop the storm? Why is it my God... Not able to send fire from heaven. And who is this God that suddenly out of nowhere interrupts the laws of nature, ignores our prayers, ignores our pagan idols, and acts independently on his own? Whether it's Pharaoh who thought he was a God, who thought he commanded and had leverage with the sun and the moon and the stars, and plague after plague after plague in that incredible Old Testament story, God said to Pharaoh, you're not God, you're not God, you're not God, you're not God. Your pagan idols are not God, they're not God, they're not God, they're not God. And at the end of the story, we find Pharaoh saying, Moses, who is your God? And take your people and get out of here and take your God with you, whoever he is. Because he is the one true living God. I've been wrong all my life about who I thought. God was. Or is that incredible dramatic moment at the cross? Jesus has just been crucified. Overseeing that event was a Roman centurion. And the Bible says that after Jesus died, there was an earthquake that shook the place. It opened up tombs. It opened up the earth. Scared everybody to death. That the sun went away. That the clouds came. That God took all of his energy and impacted nature. And when the storm had subsided, the very centurion that had overseen the crucifixion of Christ stood there or knelt there at the cross and looked up and he said, truly, 
This was the Son of God. And in that moment, he recognized who he was dealing with. This is God's way. We're not comfortable with it. We don't like it. But he's been consistent from Old Testament all the way through the New Testament to say, in the midst of nature taking its toll upon humanity, in those moments, look up and ask the question, who are we dealing with really? Now the interesting thing is, the answer to who is God as it relates to the issue of tsunami, or who is God as it relates to the issues of nature, the answers are found in the very first book of the Bible, which Jesus seemed to imply actually happened. This wasn't a myth or a way that ancient people described the beginnings of the earth. Jesus believed Adam and Eve were historical figures, and I just go with Jesus because he rose from the dead. You, you've heard me say that before. And Jesus believed that these were historical figures, and that the account of, of Genesis, of the beginning of the earth and the creation, is actually what happened. And here's the interesting thing. If you're not a Christian, this is huge. In the very beginning, in this ancient story, in this ancient story, we find the insights needed to piece together the reasons behind things that happen in nature that we don't understand. And in the midst of that story, once again, God is saying, I'm great and I'm good. That's who you're dealing with. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to the book of Genesis. It's the easiest one to find right after the table of contents. You just keep going right and you'll get there. And I'm going to read um, several verses from Genesis chapter one. And I want you to say one word with me every time we get to it. And you'll know what that is when we get to it. We'll put these verses up on the screen if you didn't bring your Bible. Genesis chapter 1. And here's, here's where we discover what God is like. Because this is when God created the earth and made the earth just the way he wanted it. Here's what we discover. Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was what? It was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. Verse 9. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let the dry ground appear. I'm glad he did that. And it was so. And God called the dry ground land and gathered waters. He called seas. And God saw that it was what? It was good. And the land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was it's good. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was it was good. And then God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Yeah. And then you know what he did? He took some dust and he formed man and woman. And he said, I'm going to make man in my own image, in his own image. He created them male and female, the Bible says. And he breathed the breath of life into them. And apparently he gave us a soul. And then he said to Adam, here's what I want you to do. I want you to rule over all of creation. I'm putting all of nature under your authority. You are to rule and subdue. You are to rule and subdue the plants and the animals. You rule and subdue. I'm giving you authority to rule in this earth on my behalf. And so man and woman were put in the Garden of Eden. And the chapter ends with this, verse 31. And God saw all that he had made. And it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning 
the sixth day. When God created this earth and he had it just the way he wanted it. It was just the way we want it to be now. When God created the heavens and the earth and he had it just the way he wanted it, it was exactly the way we know it ought to be now. Which leads us to one of the other most important questions you can ever ask if you want to understand who God is. And that's this question. What in the world happened? How is it that evil crept into this world? How how is it that nature doesn't cooperate? How is it that people don't do what they're supposed to do? Where did evil come from? How is it that your children don't have to be taught to do wrong? Your children never have to be taught to lie. Where did evil come from? For things are not the way God originally created them. Now, I know you know the Sunday school story. And before we get to that, I just want us to think broadly a second. Okay, let's just use our brains. Okay, not our Bible knowledge. Where did that come from? What's the possible explanation? Do you realize that evil or or ought not or don't or, you know, bad things, you know, it's like rust. You don't just see rust. You see rust on things. If it wasn't for good things, there could be no rust. If there weren't for clean things, there could be no dirty things. Do you realize if it weren't for pure things, there could be no impure things. If there weren't for good things, there could be not, you know, ungood things. If there weren't for ought, there couldn't be any ought nots. Do you realize that evil is just the degradation of that which is perfect and pure? And we live in a world full of evil and we live in a world where we know there are things that shouldn't be and they, if they wouldn't be if I was in charge. We know that people don't act the way. Here's the question. Where did that come from? How did that creep in? Why don't people just behave? Why don't your children just do what you tell them to do? You know? Why can't countries get along? I mean, why should we have nuclear armament? I mean, can't we just, can't, can't we just go over to the Middle, Middle East and come, come, come on, come on, come on. Let's just get along. Okay, you're killing your children. I mean, what, what is that? What is that thing in us? Where in the world did it come from? And how is it? Here's the deeper question, more perplexing. How is it we know that things aren't as they should be? Where did we get this knowledge of here's what's good and here's what's not good? How do we know that this ought to be and this ought not to be? Where did that knowledge come from? Where, how did it all come to be? Why is it that what happened in Indonesia with the tsunami is so much different than what happened in my neighbor's backyard when the pine beetles went in and killed 40 pine trees? Why do we know that the fact that my neighbor lost 40 pine trees is not on par with over 200,000 people dying in, in, in you know, Indonesia and in that part of the world? Why is it if I were to say to you, well, it's the same, it's nature. I mean, a wave, pine beetles, you know, dead trees, dead people. It's all the same. That's not even funny, is it? It's offensive. You say, well, Andy, that's silly. Why is it silly? Why don't I just say, you know what? Nature is nature and let's just all get over it and move on. Why is there something in you and something in me that just... We know that's just not right. That ought not to be. And why is it that my neighbor didn't lose faith over the fact that the pine beetles ripped through his backyard and killed 40 pine trees? Why didn't he come over to my house saying, Andy, I just don't know if I can believe in God anymore. Why? Because if God were good and God were great, he would have stopped the pine beetles from killing my pine trees. Never crossed his mind. Why is that different? Now, if you're thinking... That's not even a smart question, but here's the question. Why isn't it? Why is it we just know? This is huge. Why is it 
that all of us, regardless of your background, your religion, your faith, that all the people who I quoted from, why is it that we are all able to reach outside of ourselves and appeal to some general universal sense of right and wrong and say tsunami was bad. Death of innocent people is bad. Where did that standard come from? I didn't make it up. You didn't make it up. It's universal. We just know intuitively that there are certain things that shouldn't happen. Certain things ought not to be. Where did ought not to be come from? How do we know that it's really bad? You go, oh, man, my brain hurts. I don't know. We just we just know. But how do you know? And where did evil come from? Now, you know what? There's a little verse in the Bible. If you've ever read the book of Genesis, you've read this maybe a half dozen times. You went right by it because it seems so insignificant. But here's what's so incredibly brilliant about the Bible. Here's why I believe this is the explanation. And although I'd be the first to admit the message today is not emotionally satisfying. At the end of the message, we all don't go, well, I feel a lot better about the fact that 200,000 people died. That's not the point of the message. It's not emotionally satisfying. But the reason these events don't take the legs out from underneath our faith if you're a Christian is because so much of the scripture explains and gives context for this. And here's what the Bible says. This is amazing. When God put Adam and Eve in the garden, he said, this was great. He said, everything's good. And they went yeah, it's good, but, you know, what's, I mean, they didn't even have anything to compare it to. Good, everything's good. It was irrelevant. It's good. And he said, now I've only got one rule. Now, this is great. You should, this is a clue about who is God. When God had the world just the way he wanted it, guess how many rules he had? Just one. See, I like God. God and I can get along, because I don't like rules. Apparently, God didn't either. Imagine that. When God had the world just the way he wanted it, he only had one rule. And the rule was, don't eat from the fruit of that tree. And Adam and Eve said, why? Apparently, God told him why. And listen to the reason. You ready for this? He says, on the day that you eat of that tree, you will gain something you'll wish you'd never gained. You will gain. Are you ready for this? This is in the Bible. The knowledge of good and evil. On the day that you eat of that fruit, you will have something that will drive you crazy the rest of your life. You will have the knowledge of good and evil. Do you know what that means? That's why we are so aware of how things could be and it drives us crazy that they aren't ever that way. That's the knowledge of good and evil. I know that people shouldn't mistreat children, but they mistreat children anyway. If I didn't know that they shouldn't, it wouldn't bother me that they do. But I live with the knowledge and you live with the knowledge of good and evil. It might have been better for us if God had just given us the knowledge of evil. If all we'd known was good and then we went to all we know is bad, then I wouldn't have this tension. It's the reason you try to have your family behave and you try to work things to where life's kind of a wrinkle-free life and it never works out and there's constant frustration. It's why we compare. It's what drives us crazy. It's why we know instinctively. It's why everybody in the world knows instinctively what happened on December the 26th was a bad thing. Nobody argues that it was a good thing. Because we live with the knowledge of good and evil. And the way that evil came into this world was through sin. And with it came the knowledge that just drives us crazy and frustrates us to no end. Isn't that amazing? The Bible answers that question. And in answering that question gives us another clue as to who we are dealing with. You see, when Adam and Eve sinned, God not only gave them the knowledge of good and evil, he did what any good and great God would do. He judged sin. 
And we're very quick to be judgmental of God if we take this seriously and to say, God, you overjudged, you overreacted. But to have done anything less would have been not would have been to show himself not to be a good or a great God. Let me illustrate it this way. If you saw a young man, a teenage boy, bad mouthing his dad, using profanity, ripping his dad up one side down the other in front of other people. If you saw a son that was just completely, overtly, publicly disrespectful of his father and his dad did nothing. Would you say, now there's a good father. Have you ever been in a department store with a lady who's got two children that she ignores while they persecute you as you try to shop? And you're thinking, where are these children's mother? And you realize as they kind of swoop around and she gives them more candy or Coke or whatever and then lets them go, you know. And they, they just show her no respect and she tries to get them back and they ignore and they're hiding, but, you know, and running around. Do you think to yourself, now there's a good mother? No. And what would you think about a God whose prized creation disobeyed the one rule and a God who did nothing about it? Would you say there's a good God? You see, the thing we don't like, the mystery that's revealed, the thing that doesn't sit well with me or with you, is that when nature wreaks havoc on humanity, it is evidence that God is great and God is good because he's the God that would not and could not turn a blind eye to sin. Here's, here's the way it played out in the garden. Genesis 3.16, listen to this. God cast judgment on humanity. This is very significant. If you're not a Christian, you're trying to figure it out, or you're wondering how in the world do Christians deal with this, this is huge. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. Ladies, it's, it's, it's Eve's fault. <laughs> not God's. With pain, you will give birth to children. And then listen to this. This explains a lot. I'll come back to this someday. And Eve, your desire will be for your husband. Literally, your desire will be to rule over your husband. Your desire will be for your husband and he, in fact, will rule over you. Did you know the dynamic in your marriage, men, where you feel like you're responsible, but you don't want to make any decisions? And your wife wants you to lead, but she keeps trying to lead for you. Have you ever experienced that in your marriage? Did you know that's right here at the beginning of Genesis did you know it's part of the curse? It's not her fault or your fault. You can join forces and say, you know, we can't help it. We're dysfunctional. We can't help it. <laughs> this is right there. That part of the curse. Get this, get this. Remember, God said, I am forced to curse everything under your authority, including your relationship with the woman or with the man that I designed you for. Verse 17 to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the fruit of the tree, from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Ready? Cursed is the what? The what? The ground. Adam's going, you're going to curse the ground. I'm going to curse the earth. I'm cursing everything under your authority. The earth, the ground, the weather, it's all cursed because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. This is why you never have to plant, water, or fertilize a weed. I mean, you drive yourself crazy because you know how the lawn ought to be. And it could be because you have the knowledge of good and evil, knowledge of a good lawn, knowledge of a bad lawn. And you work and you work and you work and there's these bare spots and everything dies but the weeds and they come on with a vengeance. You know why? Because you're working with cursed ground. That's why it takes so much time and effort and money. 
to make parts of this earth look good. It is cursed because of what happened in the garden. Verse 18, it will produce thorns and thistles for you and you'll eat of the plants of the field. Verse 19, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken for dust you are and to dust you will return. You know what the moral of the story is? God is great. God is good. If only we had been. God is great. God is good. If only we had been. Listen. And if you think in those moments when the tsunamis come down and touch down in your life personally, and if you think in the midst of tragedy that God, you've gone too far, God, you've overjudged, you've overreacted, it's because you and I, and I put myself in that category, it's because we don't understand just how good and how great he is. He's so good and he's so great, he could not turn a blind eye to sin, and he judged sin, and we think he overjudged sin. That's because we underestimate how good and great he is, and we overestimate how good and great we think we are. We say, God, you're good and great, but you know, I'm here. I mean, you're gooder and greater, but I'm not bad. I'm not that bad. And so when God judges us harshly or we are, we feel the consequences of the judgment on this world, the judgment on the earth, the judgment of a relationship, the judgment of the weather. We find ourselves saying, God, it's not fair. And God says, no, you don't under you have underestimated the significance of my goodness and my greatness. You've overestimated the significance of your own goodness and your own greatness. And you've underestimated the significance of sin in the face of a holy and righteous and good God. That loved humanity enough to create a perfect environment. And then gave you the freedom to foul it up. Which you did. And if you ever, and we've all been there. And if ever you're tempted to shake your fist at God. And say, God, you didn't handle this right. Behind that is the, and behind that sentence is another one that you might not ever express. This as God, I don't fully trust you. Do you realize you're simply repeating the same sin that got us thrown out of the garden in the first place? When Adam said, I know you said not to, but I'm going to do it anyway because I'm not sure you're telling me the whole story. You see, God is great. And God is good. And he's so great and he's so good that he judged sin the way sin needed to be judged. And we have suffered the consequences ever since with this horrible, horrible knowledge of good and evil that drives us crazy because we know how it could be and should be. And we can't ever get it to stay that way. But all of that forces us, all of that forces us to finally ask the question, who is this God we are dealing with? God is great. God is good. He's so good and he's so great. He judged sin and he judged this earth. This is, this is why. This is why every night of my life, because I believe this. I, I believe this for a long time and it's, it's not emotionally satisfying. Again, I'm not going to finish the sermon and go, well, I feel better about it. No, no, it's not emotionally satisfying. It's just true. And it's why every night of my life in some form, when all the kids make it home safe and we get to eat dinner, and Sanders there, and I'm there, and then we get the kids all tucked in. And we're all going to get to spend the night out, of, out away from the from the elements, and we've had everything we need, and everybody's safe. I pray. I bow my head, and many times get on my knees, and I say, Heavenly Father, thank you for one more day of allowing me to be the exception to the rule. You are a good God, and you are a great God, and today you've reminded me 
You are a gracious God because you gave me exactly what I don't deserve. Now you say, well, Andy, I'm really happy for you, buddy. I really am. But that doesn't, that doesn't, you didn't answer the question. And the reason it's not the full answer is because it's only half the story. That's why there's two parts in the series. <laughs> it's a little bit like sitting across from the doctor and the doctor saying, I've got some really bad news. I have diagnosed what your problem and you have a, a life threatening disease. Some of you have been there. You don't have to use your imagination. I, I have diagnosed a life threatening disease. And the good news is I found out what the problem is. And the good news is I'm telling you the truth. But your next question for him is the same question we have for God as a response to a message like this. Okay. So you found out my problem and you've told me the truth. My question is, can you and will you do something about it? And you see, that all depends on just how good and how great and how gracious he is, doesn't it? And that's where we pick up with the story next week.